Welcome to Afternoon Delight, an ongoing conversation about branding, leadership, and most importantly, love. I'm Jay Rendon in San Francisco, and I'm joined by my co-host, Eric Solomon, in New York City. Mr. Solomon, good afternoon. Uh, good, and a good morning to you. Good morning to you. How are you doing today? We're doing fantastic here on the West Coast. Um, yeah, it's cold, but um, but clear out. And yeah, don't talk to me about cold here in New York. <laughs> right, please. yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I keep forgetting that people on the East Coast never want to hear about weather on the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, true, true. But we're not here to talk about weather today, are we? We're not. We're not. Um, today is part two in our mini-series on origin stories. Um, last time we talked about the origin of Novio. And this time we are spinning the microphone around and going to hear about the origin story of the superhero known as Eric Solomon. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, obviously, I know a lot of the details about your story. You know, I think it's a uh, fascinating when you, for me, exemplify the old school of our industry where a lot of the people I used to meet had really interesting, varied backgrounds. And what I always found fascinating was asking people, how did you end up in advertising or marketing? Mm -hmm. uh, nowadays, you hear, you know, well, I studied integrated branding in college. That was my major. <laughs> right, but it used to right. be people came from all sorts of backgrounds and they just sort of stumbled into this industry and uh, warmed my heart to, to hear that your path was long and circuitous and completely compelling. So look forward to diving into that. Uh, thank you. Uh, but before we get started, as is our custom, we have a non sequitur to kick off with. Mm -hmm. And this time it's a quote. It's a quote by one of my favorite authors, Alice Munro, the Nobel laureate. Oh, she's great. A story is not a path you traverse, but a large house to explore. After you inhabit a story for a while, you peer through the windows of that house the world outside looks different. Mm. And what I love about that is, you know, a lot of her writing is about family and connection and the details of life and the, the complications uh, that arise from it. That quote is not surprising coming from her. She's such a great observer of the domestic uh, world. However, I also think that that's an interesting way of framing a brand. Mm. And a lot of times when we have conversations with clients and the conversation turns to things like design systems or messaging architectures, things that reflect the tactics that arise from the brand. And what this, I when I read this, it reminds me that the aspiration for a brand should be not only those things, but also how a brand sees the world outside, mm. which is a point of view. It's 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 how you, how you see the world, and as a consequence, how you fit into that world, your place in that world. Right. From, from my point of view, that is where I think the conversation should begin. Where do you fit in the world, and as a result of that, how does that reflect how you communicate? with yeah. all your constituents. So um, I love that. It was a great reminder and, and you know, put beautifully and succinctly by yeah, a no, very uh, talented writer. I absolutely love that quote. Uh, I think I've read it, but I didn't remember it. And, uh, 
even though we're calling it a non sequitur, it feels very much aligned with uh, the rest of our conversation today. So, yeah, I guess maybe it's uh, we'll call this section the sequitur section. Well, without any further ado, tell me about Eric Solomon. Mm, I mean, I really do feel like the least likely person in the world to have the career that I've had, which kind of I say with pride to some extent, because I've at least come to a place now where I've realized that it it really isn't about the final thing that I'm doing or, or destination of any kind, but really the whole path that's kind of led me from where I've been to where I am now and where I might even be in the future. And so my, my journey started in, in a strange place. When I graduated college, I, I literally had no idea, like most people do, what, what you want to do with your life. It's uh, rare that you find the 20 or 21-year-old who really knows, and sometimes you just get a job. But uh, I think I was too scared to get a job, or I just felt like I had no actual skills still feel that way to some extent, but I really felt that way when I was 20. And so I immediately went into a master's and PhD program in psychology. And so that as a starting place was just a natural entry point to me. And often when I say psychology, people think of the the Freudian guy in the chair where they've got the patient laying down on a couch. Not, not that kind of psychology. Um, I wish it was sometimes, and sometimes I, I say it is just to you know, freak people out a little bit. But you know, really the kind where you <laughs> design experiments, very quantitative experiments, to kind of test hypotheses about how behavior and how the brain works. And I guess I sort of knew, even when I started, that understanding that had ties to things that were bigger than just academia and bigger than just that. So I kind of immediately went into the business world too and uh, did some work while I was in graduate school at uh, Verizon Labs, actually, which was you know the evolution of Bell Labs, which was a big technology center in the 80s, 70s, and 80s. And uh, basically started my kind of dual career in academia and technology at the same time. But I was pretty young when I finished my PhD. I was, uh, I think, twenty, twenty-five, or twenty-six years old. Can, can I? Can I, I did the, can I ask what? Yeah. What yeah, was the please. impetus for psychology? What drew me to psychology? I mean, I, I think it has to do with the same thing that kind of, to some extent, gets me out of bed in the morning today, which is really trying to understand what makes people tick. Why do people do the things they do? Why do they process information the way they process it? And, you know, I got into psychology. I studied linguistics, of all things, as an undergraduate, which is very uh, kind of looking at how language, you know, not specific languages, but more language as an entity is structured. And I got really interested in that idea of how is it that we speak what it is we're thinking and, you know, what happens in the process between what we're thinking and what we're saying, because there seems, at least for me, there's often a huge disconnect. <laughs> and I think a lot of people have that problem, right? You're, you never fully convey what it is that's in your head. So I, I wanted to spend time figuring out why and how that happens. Oh, fascinating. On from there, sort of, there's not, you know, people like to think, uh, well, I don't know what people think of people that get PhDs, uh, but, you know, I have no clue. But at, at the end of the day, I think people like to think, well, it's a uh, the world is your oyster and 
you know, maybe you can do a bunch of different things with that. But I, I didn't see it that way at all. In fact, I felt a little bit like, wow, I just committed all this time to, to doing this uh, endeavor. And if I'm not going to be a professor, well, have I just wasted all of these years in school? Sure. And it's, it's kind of a funny way of thinking about it, but that's kind of how you think when you're in your twenties, I think. And so I, you know, I immediately went into pretty much right after grad school into a, a postdoctoral program, which is kind of what you do before you become a professor. And this is actually an interesting point of connection for us without us even knowing it, Jay, but I ended up getting a position at UCSF at their medical school. And uh, here in Novio, we have a kind of a deep relationship with UCSF. So a little bit funny. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That ironically became my entry point into this universe that we're in now, because one of the projects I was working on was in the psychology of advertising. And one of the projects I was looking at is how the advertising industry had used social science and psychologists to get people and especially kids hooked onto smoking. And our job was to really figure out what we could do to counter market. And uh, it was fascinating because there was a big quantitative component to that, but there was also a qualitative component. And I got to interview people that I had never had access to, which include people that owned ad agencies And one of those people, another point of connection for us, happened to be Jeff Goodby from Goodby Silverstein and Partners. And for those of people who don't know who he is, you know his work. He's the guy that really wrote the words, got milk, right? So the luminary. And uh, you've got some experience with him too, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paul, uh, my partner, and I spent a number of years working at Goodby, um, I guess before you Met him and and uh, during the the era where they worked on Got Milk and Porsche and yeah. Sega and a bunch of other high profile accounts. Yeah, so of course I you know I I walked in there as the the cocky mid twenty something not knowing who this guy was, which is probably a good thing. I might have been terrified otherwise. But he, I'm I'm curious how how did you get not just him but other people in the industry yeah. you, you called and you said what you were doing and they were like sure let, let's talk I, i'm wondering about that how did you break the ice you know i found in general whether that's you know ad advertising people or whatever level you know it, it's a fundamental truth that people love to talk about themselves when you when you show interest especially if it's in the service of doing something good in the world and I only reached out to agencies that I knew had a, a record of doing at least some nonprofit or pro bono work. Uh, and I was in San Francisco. Um, so all the stars aligned. And that's how I ended up reaching out to, to Goodby in particular. And something amazing happened, uh, at least from my point of view, in that conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, it really, it, it was a little bit surreal looking back on it because I didn't realize uh, just how good of an ad man uh, he really is. Because, you know, we were in the middle of that conversation and uh, we were pretty far into the conversation. He was very generous with this time and we were having a great chat because again, I knew nothing about the world of advertising or marketing, but I did know a lot about psychology and what makes people tick. And so we had a lot to riff on. And at one point he stopped me and he did what uh, any good ad person does, which is he pitched me <laughs> and he took, he took a step back and uh, kind of looked at me and he said, listen, you seem like a, a nice, bright guy. 
And then he systematically tapped into my deepest insecurities about <laughs> never getting a professor job in a place I wanted to live and uh, never making any money. And true, you know, and, and the reality is I saw this happening all around me, super smart people working really hard who ended up in places that I certainly wouldn't want to live. Uh, I won't name where those were. <laughs> and certainly making salaries that made it difficult to imagine a life in San Francisco or any other major city. And so he basically said, we don't have a lot of people like you who have this more quantitative psychology background. Seems like you might be really useful to me and to this agency in a more quantitative planning perspective, because we don't even have people that know how to write a lot of surveys here, let alone somebody that knows statistics and all this stuff. Would you be interested? And uh, I mean... The rest is history. Yeah. Which seems from the outside like such a baller move to, you know, <laughs> hire somebody who comes in to interview. But on the other hand, having worked with Jeff, he's sort of the opposite of Don Draper. Yeah. I mean, it, it struck me as less of an interview um, and more of a conversation with a wise, wise man. Yeah. You know, and, and that was the reality. And so it didn't feel at all out of place. It felt like the most natural thing in the world, honestly. Um, at least I can say that in retrospect. Sure. And so that that was one of the first big uh, twists and turns in your story. Uh, it brought you over to the world of marketing and thinking about brands more deeply. I think that's exactly right. I mean, and, you know, anybody that spent time in an agency, especially one like could be, you know, that, you know, you, you learn pretty fast how agencies work and what it takes to succeed in those places or, or you don't and you don't like it, but I, I loved it. I loved the collaboration. I loved the creativity. Um, one of the things I, I honestly hated about being an academic, there's a lot I did like about it, but I hated how lonely it was. It's a very solitary pursuit. Oh, yeah. And working in a creative environment or really any corporation is the opposite of that. You've got to thrive in teams and work in squads and all that stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and Goodby really fostered that for me. Um, and not to mention, I got to work on um, probably some of the most exciting stuff you get to do in the agency world, which is new business, mm. which is not necessarily day-to-day -day management of a client, but to really think about how do you bring somebody new into your fold based on tricks and tools and, and, and smarts. And yeah. so it was just really fun. Um, so yeah, and that was, that was really, you know, I think, uh, some folks, you know, stay in agencies for their whole life or stay in, in, you know, one career path their whole life. And uh, I think even just for, from this brief conversation, you know, that that's just not part of my DNA. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, I think, you know, there's some fortunate things that happen along the way if you're an open and curious person and, Somebody I had worked with kind of uh, in the early days in the advertising stint had moved over to YouTube and, and she had actually moved over pre-Google acquisition. Can't even remember what year that was, but uh, quite a while ago now. And she called and said, you know, we're building this agency-like entity within YouTube. And I, I love my job. I love what I'm doing. But I, we could really use a kind of strategy and insights counterpart to this creative director that we've hired. Would you be interested? And, you know, this was, the call was like in 2010. So, you know, 10 years ago, quite a different landscape than it is now. And uh, I kind of jumped at the opportunity to get on this rocket ship, even though I had no idea where it was going. 
Now, going client side is not uncommon in the agency world. However, working at Goodby, part of the reason people like working at a place like that is they don't work with just technology companies. They work with global brands. And as you were considering going client side, did you give any thought to, well, this YouTube thing seems really interesting, but if I'm going to go client side, do I want to go technology? Or was it the fact that it was a technology company, something that particularly attracted you? Yeah. And I mean, it's a, it's a good question. There are a couple of things kind of involved with that, which is, you know, I do think even on the agency side, I think given my early background, even doing stuff at Verizon and probably even just the era where I grew up. So I'm in my early 40s. And so I've been part of the quote unquote digital revolution on the on the early end of it for my whole life. And it, I, I think I've always been really attracted to emerging technology. The other thing was that at least initially at YouTube, the job itself wasn't 100% client side. It was, as a matter of fact, kind of, even though I was working with a lot of clients, I also got to partner with agencies and the kind of entity that we were building was agency-like in terms of being more of a creative arm. And what I loved about it was at places like Goodby and Venables, I was sort of the known as the data guy, Hmm. the numbers guy in a very creative environment. And I felt kind of, I guess, not boxed in, but typecast as that kind of guy. But then I move over to a place like Google slash YouTube, and suddenly I'm the creative guy. (laughs) I think this is true for a lot of people who aren't inherently uh, capital C creative, but I've always been insecure about the, the creative part, even though I love it. Sure. But that, you know, so I was looking for that change, a place where I could really lean into that creative side of work. Um, and I think YouTube initially gave that promise to me. Well, FYI, uh, no one is more insecure than uh, anyone who is a capital C <laughs> creative. So then that began a really impressive string of experiences, client experiences, client side experiences that you've had at different world class technology brands. It was it was crazy the amount that I learned and the amount of exposure that I had during the time there. And I ended up spending uh, about four and a half years at YouTube. I got to work with basically every major brand you could think of on raising their digital IQ, especially when it comes to digital video. And also got to work on things like Obama's reelection campaign and other Olympic activity and very cool stuff. But I got a call from a recruiter who is looking for a head of brand on the client side at Spotify with the catch being that it was in New York city. And so I just jumped at the opportunity and really what they were looking for me to do, which is to really just work on establishing and fostering the Spotify brand. They had done a ton of work on the product, but they had not done a lot of the the foundational work on building the brand. And that was really my remit there globally was to to help establish and figure out what Spotify stands for and how to best communicate it. And, um, you know, I'd like to say that I had a, a long tenure at Spotify, but actually about, you know, six or seven months into that job, I had a, just to be perfectly honest, a major family kind of tragedy that really shifted my perspective, shifted my focus, and ultimately has taken me on the path that I've been over the last few years. And what? how do you characterize that path that when you started looking at how your personal life recast how you were thinking about your professional life. Talk a little bit about how you were looking at that. 
there is this tendency, I think, maybe especially the more senior you get in a role and the more responsibility you have at an organization to disconnect what's happening in your personal life with your professional life. There's almost a, an expectation of shutting that at the door so that you can be productive. But then you realize, of course, that that's never possible. Uh, people bring who they are to work every single day. But I I had never dealt with anything on the scale that I was going through. And I I kind of conformed to expectations of what I thought. So my way of dealing with the tragedy at first was to simply not deal with it. Sure. But then, you know, as anybody knows, when you're trying to accomplish anything with a massive amount of distraction, you don't often do the best job. And so I ended up, you know, parting ways with Spotify sooner than I had wanted to. But it actually turned out to be, to some extent, a blessing uh, because it allowed me a little bit to shift the focus back to dealing with the stuff that I was going through. And what what I actually ended up doing was calling some people back at Google where I had a great reputation based on the work that I'd done there for four and a half years. And I said, listen, um, I really need to be on both coasts. And is there anything we could do so I can come back to allow that to happen? I did not expect anything to come from that. But I think it speaks volumes of Google as an organization for all the, I guess, the complications that they might run into today. It speaks volumes of them that they created a role for me while I was dealing with something on a personal level. I mean, I think that they are well known for when they find someone that they they want to work with, creating a non-traditional uh, agreement in terms of how you're going to engage with them. That's something that resonates a lot with you know myself and my partners at Novio because we feel the same way that sometimes a nine to five office environment can create success, but oftentimes that's not the case. I, I think that's right. I think to some extent Novio is ahead of its time when it comes to that. Lots of companies are just catching up to that idea that you don't have to be tied to a desk to do the work. You know, I think whenever you deal with a trauma of any kind, people deal with it in so many different ways. And just given my nature, what I did, I think the way that I dealt with it was, even though I was taking care of the tactical stuff that needed to happen in order to kind of carry on with day to day life, I really put a lot of the emotional stuff up on a shelf and put it aside and, and poured myself into work. And I think if anybody is nodding along with that, I think it's a common experience. Absolutely. You know, you can use work uh, as a distraction sometimes when you're dealing with something that isn't pleasant. And I, I certainly did that. And uh, I think, you know, my ambition got, maybe got the better part of me because uh, I was at Google, back at Google for not so long. And so now my resume was looking like a who's who of uh, tech companies. And given that I was kind of back on both coasts, somebody from Instagram reached out to me and said, hey, we're looking for a global head of marketing for Instagram. Would you be interested? And I said, well, I don't. I never planned on really going back to Google. Why the hell not? I'll just I'll go for it. And the stars aligned and um, I was hired uh, to be the global head of uh, business marketing for Instagram. And it was quite a job. I had uh, teams across the world from Singapore to Menlo Park. So you can imagine what my days look like. Yeah, that, that's a tough commute. Um, yeah, you know, tough commute, but worthwhile. And I, I did that job. I was there for a little bit over a year. And then that's really where our path started to cross. Towards the end of 2018, I made a big decision. 
a really big decision that has kind of changed the course of my life. And it was not an easy one, but a necessary one for me. Um, I made a decision to step away from the corporate world and focus on really doing the things that light me up and that I love to do that give me purpose in the world. And uh, then I met you, Jay. I wonder how that shift influences today you're writing, you're speaking, you're thinking, you're advising. Mm. Talk a little bit about that process of discovery plays into that. Um, well, first of all, that's a, a really nice way of putting it. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that that's right. It, it has been really a process, an unending process of discovery. And I'd say, you know, where I'm at now is kind of like what we have to do for brands is, is trying to figure out my personal foundational story of really what matters to me and what guides the decisions that I make in life, which includes work. So there are a couple things, you know, one is I don't want to be one of those people that has a work life and a personal life. And that's one decision that everybody has to make. There are some people that are perfectly fine going to a job and then ending it, punching the card, and then doing what they quote-unquote love to do outside of work. And I'm just not wired that way. I, I like to mix the two. And so in order to do that, there's got to be guardrails on how I approach things. And I've made it really simple for myself. I really believe that if you kind of hone down on the two things that matter the most in work and in life, it is about establishing human one-on-one connections with other people and building community. And those things guide me in the decisions that I make on what I write about, what I speak about, who I work with. But I also think that if you turn them outward, those are the things that brands are trying to do with their consumers and customers. And uh, I, I think it, that's been the journey for me as I started in such an analytical, quantitative, numbers-driven place sure. and ended in this place where I think for me, it is about people and community and the rest is noise. Absolutely. Um, and so I put pretty much everything I do through those two filters. That's great. Well, Eric, thank you so much for sharing your journey. It is a fascinating look in, into the evolution of your thinking and the way you see the world, but also the way you see your place in it. Mm. We'll put a link in the show notes to an article that you recently wrote for Entrepreneur Magazine that covers this journey. And, and also you expand on uh, how you see things in, in really, it's a really great read. Uh, well, thank you so much. Uh, this is honestly some of the first time I've said some of this stuff out loud. So thank you for you know the opportunity and thanks to everyone for listening. Great. Well, we've got one more episode left in Origin Stories, and this time we'll be talking not about Novio, not about Eric, but about the clients that we've worked with and how an origin story plays such a central role in establishing an organization's brand. Um, I can't wait for that discussion. I think it'll be equally as interesting as the, the last two. So thank you. Great. All right, Eric. All right. Have a fantastic afternoon. You too, Jay. This has been Jay Rendon and Eric Solomon for Afternoon Delight, an OVO Brandcast. If listening to us has been indeed a delight, please subscribe, review, and rate us on whatever podcast platform you're partial to. To make a connection, give us feedback, ask a question, even just say hi, 
You can email us at pod at novio.com. Visit us at novio.com slash afternoon delight. Or find us on Twitter at afternooner. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>